This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and welcome to the show. So my column in Sunday's Free Press was about the videotape released last week of Inkster police beating a 57-year-old Detroit man nearly to death for absolutely no reason. The cops pulled Floyd Dent from his vehicle after they pulled him over. They threw him to the ground and began choking and beating him. My column was an attempt to put this beating on the heels of many others like it that have come to light recently into some sort of policy context. What are the things we need to be doing differently to prevent this kind of incident? But you know what my column was really about? Fear. My fear right now of the police. I'm afraid, like so many African Americans, of the police in a way that I can't remember being before. When I'm driving, if I see a marked police car behind me or just driving by, my heart races and my palms get sweaty. Each time I'm thinking, could this be the beginning of something awful? And that's crazy. I'm not a criminal. I don't have any warrants. And when I've been pulled over by the police in the past, I've always been really cooperative. But none of that appears to mean very much these days. Floyd Dent wasn't a criminal either. He didn't have any warrants. And when he was pulled over in Inkster, he didn't appear to pose a threat. Yeah, he opened his car door, and that was probably a mistake. Maybe it startled the officer who already had his gun drawn. Maybe it suggested some sort of aggression. But even so, the reaction of the officers was really over the top. You yank the guy from the car and throw him to the ground, then put him in a chokehold and start wailing on his head? It's not just outside the bounds of police procedure. It's indecent violence, the kind of thing you expect from criminals, but not the police. So yeah, I'm afraid. I know, really I know, it's not all cops who are the problem. Most are very dedicated and good at their jobs, and they're there to protect people from harm. But there's a steady stream of videos and other high-profile incidents that suggest there's a serious problem in the ranks of many if not most, departments. Floyd Dent could far too easily have been me, a guy not doing anything wrong who winds up being beaten by the police. Or he could have been someone I know. And I know I'm not alone in thinking that. Today, we're going to talk about what happened in Inkster and put it in the context of the larger trend. And when I say we, I mean you, the listener, too. Do these incidents make you afraid of the police? What should we be doing to stop them from happening? Or do you think this is all blown out of proportion? Do you think I'm making too much of this? And so are other people who are calling for big-time change. Call us at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. But first, I want to welcome Dr. Carl Taylor, a professor in the Michigan State University Department of Sociology, to the program. Dr. Taylor's research on the challenges facing urban America, and particularly urban youth, has been groundbreaking. And he's worked with both police departments and communities to get them to work together to make neighborhoods safer. Welcome to Detroit Today, Dr. Taylor. Thank you for having me. Uh, Let's start with this. As I said in the open, you've worked both with with urban youth and with police departments to try to make neighborhoods safer, to try to keep particularly uh, urban youth uh, from, from being victims of crime or victims of police brutality. Give me your a minute or two sort of take on where we are with this stuff. It seems like we are seeing far more of it than we used to. Uh, And and like I said, I'm scared. I know other people who are scared. 
tell us tell us why we should be or why we shouldn't be. Well, first, I think you gave an excellent introduction and explained the complexity of this problem. And I'm African American, a large one, and I have a gray beard and I'm bald head. <laughs> and so, um, and I have law enforcement uh, individuals in my family, and I'm very fearful also. So we seem to have taken a giant step backward uh, for the last couple of years in particular with Ferguson, but in particular with the broad daylight filming of Eric Gardner in New York. We saw that take place. And then we have not had a response that I think has been palatable, acceptable from law enforcement. And I think there's um, some polarization, not some, there's polarization and anger on both sides, but what we're looking for is a balance, and we're looking for leadership. So things, I think, at this very moment are probably the worst I've seen in my lifetime, actually. I'm a native of Detroit, as you know, and so the fears that you speak of are real. They're not paranoia. And at the same time, I want to be very respectful of law enforcement because those individuals who do put their lives on the line and do not um, get in trouble and break the law themselves, uh, I feel very sensitive themselves. My problem is that I don't see enough good law enforcement leadership stepping up and saying, we have some bad apples, and that's the reality. It's the same thing for our communities. We have to talk about who the bad apples are and how we handle that. Right. Uh, You do work with uh, police departments, training them uh, in community policing, training them how to deal with uh, communities like minority communities, largely minority communities. When you when you talk with them about uh, this, what, what do you hear back? Uh, what are they saying about the way that, that these incidents portray them? What are they saying about what they think needs to be done inside their departments to either stop them from happening or respond uh, more appropriately when they do? Great question. Uh, over the years, it's actually been the same. Um, cities, uh, small communities, large communities, medium communities, management, uh, mayors and police chiefs, you can't always separate the two. Um, they want their city protected, and they want it done professionally. And when you meet with management, um, assistant chiefs, directors of training, uh, you usually have a good ear to a point. Um, the problem is the rank and file and then you begin to have a discourse that is defensive, not all the times, but many of the times. But there's also a lot of nonverbal, Stephen, that you see. You can go in and train and train and train. And there's old saying, you can take the horse to the well, but you can't make them drink it. Sure. Uh, I'm seeing attitudes, and so I have a problem in many communities where I feel that I'm trapped in the middle, that I'm the guy right in the middle, that I'm seeing bad attitudes from the community, and many times for justifiable reasons, but nonetheless, attitudes that's going to make things worse. But even more bothersome, I mean, troubling, is the overreaction. And so sometimes I'm treated like the pointy-head academician. You know, there you go <laughs> right. uh, with your rhetoric and your talk. And so there is a resentment that uh, those in law enforcement just let us do our job and get out of the way. It's um, it, it can become very tense, and then a lot of times they'll sign on the dotted line. I've been trained, and that I find that the most disturbing. It's an attitude, right? And so you can't change attitudes by legislation, training. You know, you go you color by the numbers. I had an incident where I trained a very large, and it was not Detroit, 
a large department and they spent thousands of dollars in this training. And I was going to a meeting in this particular city and I was actually meeting with the governor. And I got stopped and I was speeding. And the officer was, uh, he dressed me down and you know, I even said, okay, I'm, I'm wrong. I did. And right. he gave me a ticket. And at the end of the ticket, he looked me in the eye and he smiled. He had a smirk on his face and he said, yeah, I found your, uh, your training that we had to go to. I found it very entertaining as if I was some sort of minstrel or, oh, really? you know, clown. And, you know, I called the chief and I knew the chief and I just told him that this is very discouraging because I mean, they spent a lot of money on training. I wasn't the only one, but I was in charge of training. And to have that said to me was very discouraging that I had wasted my time uh, trying to present a balanced effort to make things better. Right, only to have him mock you, essentially. Yeah, so I think that attitude many times is education plays an important role, but if you don't want to be trained and your perception is that everybody's the enemy, which um, is not policing, that's not good policing, that's, this is not good public service. But if you believe certain people are, are um, the enemy or that they're a bunch of thugs and hoodlums or hotheads or whatever, then it makes it very difficult. Right. So management can be behind it, and I think a lot of police managers behind closed doors are going crazy because they do the training. But if you don't change the attitude, and then some, like you have there, and I would say it in New York where you have a, a union leader who is defying the mayor, turns his back on the mayor, those attitudes, they sink very deeply with the troops, but they also sink very deeply with um, uh, the citizens who are paying the money, the taxpayers. That is not what we want, and that's not going to move us forward. Right. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm talking with Dr. Carl Taylor, a sociologist from Michigan State University, about police uh, beating incidents that we were seeing more and more of uh, on our television screens and in social media. If you'd like to join the conversation, call us at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Do you think these incidents are reflective of a, of a systemic problem, or do you think we're making too much of this? And, and these are, these are uh, one-offs that, that we we're giving too much attention to. I want to go to the phones. Ahmad in Belleville, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Dr. Taylor. Uh, it's been a while since we had lunch there in Lansing, and, and, and congratulations to Steve Henderson on your new job. But uh, <clears throat> I just wanted to say that <clears throat> that uh, <clears throat> this is a very old problem, and the only thing that's new is the technology. And I, I recall... I rec- Hello? Yeah, we're here. Yes, I, I, Go recall, ahead, I recall uh, uh, back in the 60s when I was a teenager, uh, I was caught uh, with some wine. And uh, me, and myself and some of my friends, at least they got away. I didn't. And, and the police just beat me uh, for uh, demanding who bought the wine. Now, I went to school with some white guys, and they had got caught with weed, pills, you know, and alcohol. And none of them ever got beaten. So it just seems that the police have always had this, these two faces. There's one face for the white community of uh, upstanding cops. And then this other face of the black for the black community of racist uh, br- brutality, and the only thing that's changed is that the technology now has allowed the white community to see that face that the black community has been seeing my whole life. 
Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much for the call, Ahmed. Uh, you raised two interesting different points there, uh, Dr. Taylor. One, that uh, this has been going on for a very long time, and what's changed is that we're able to see more of it uh, because cameras are everywhere. Uh, and then the second is that uh, this is this is about race, that, uh, that he had this experience, and it was because he was African-American, and other African-Americans have that, uh, that same experience. White people don't, don't uh, don't have that same kind of run-in. I want to give you a chance to address both of those points. Well, I would agree with him on both points. I, I think the technology, though, has made it more um, difficult uh, for those who are police officers and law enforcement who are behaving incorrectly that they're on camera. As this case, if we did not have the camera in this case in Inkster, we would be dealing with someone's words and ideals and twisted stories. But technology has changed things for the better, I believe. Uh, but the attitudes have not changed, and in some cases they have gotten worse. There's no question. And the 300-pound gorilla always is race. We know that. We don't like talking about race in this society. And it is a societal problem. So if you know, we lay it simply at the doorsteps of law enforcement. I think that's unfair. We have a racial issue in this nation that we're just blundering around with. And we try, but we don't seem to be able to get it going still. Yeah. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. I'm talking with Dr. Carl Taylor, a sociologist at Michigan State University, about police uh, police beatings on videotape and how often we're seeing them and whether they are systemic or one-offs. I'm going to go back to the phones to Carolyn in Royal Oak. Oh. Hello. Hello. Carolyn, Hello. can you turn your radio down? <laughs> yes, I did. Okay. I did. And I'm so glad you're doing this today. And uh, Dr. Carl Taylor has really got a good handle on it. And I am very much for the psychiatric test of people before they get hired. Absolutely. That's and, a great, that's a great uh, that's yeah. point. Idea. And all these military guys coming back. You know, they have been uh, probably in that stress disorder. They're, you know, that's got to be considered before they get hired. Before they become officers, you mean? Yes. And uh, you're still there? (laughs) Yeah, I'm still here. All right. (laughs) Uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, there was a man killed in January of 14 at Northland by a guard. Right. Just a guard. And they sat on him and he couldn't breathe. And, you know, the people aren't trained how to take care. Right. Thank you so much for having this on. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Carolyn. Uh, I, I want to go back to one of her points, uh, Dr. Taylor, this, the, the idea of psychiatric evaluation. What's the, what's the procedure for uh, uh, testing people before they become officers? And then uh, sort of following on that question, uh, if an officer runs into to problems with something like this, right, uh, is involved in an excessive force incident, what's the role that psych- psychiatric evaluation plays uh, in that, that officer's continuing service? Well, that's an excellent uh, question. Um, psychology, uh, mental health testing had become paramount for most major departments in the United States. Uh, some places we begin to cut back as we saw resources being reduced. Um, I know people who do the test in psychologists and psychiatrists, and so their work seem to slump off, you know, because of financial reasons. 
Um, but that is probably the most critical part of training, that you may have uh, fine shooting techniques, physical fatigue. You know, you can do all these things wonderful. But mentally, some people are not suited for the work, and that's why you need you, – it's a must to have strong mental health testing. After incident, of course, you know, you have someone come in and look at where they are. And as your previous caller had stated, that, you know, we have this issue with soldiers. This is real. Uh, police work is very stressful. So we need people that even when they are catching the bad guy, the criminal, that they still have to be professional enough and be trained but psychologically stable enough that even if you have someone biting and spitting, they have a very tough job. But they, we expect for them to have professional standards, and mental health is at the top of that. We must have psychological training. And I know good chiefs in the area. You know, you have one right there at uh, Wayne State University. Tony Holt. Um, sure. You know, Chief Holt, uh, who strongly supports mental health. Most police managers, I believe, want mental health training and demand it. But people are slipping through that and looking the other way. And that is really a big problem. Okay, I want to go back to the phones. Tom in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, good morning to both of you. You know, Steve, I got a little bone to pick with you about the way the t- title was written. It says, who are, who are the real bad guys? Uh-huh. Well, you are talking about my column yesterday in the Free Press. Right. right. And, yeah, I, I'm kind of going, like, we know who the real bad guys are. You know, it's Ray Ray Pookie and whoever else <laughs> that are out there wreaking mayhem. But, you know, in terms of the police, um, this guy here, the one that was beating this guy up out in Inkster, this guy is a rogue cop. I mean, because he was, what, sued 12 times? Yeah. And and that kind of thing. And I, I just think that, you know, when you have these paramilitary organizations and with as many police officers as there are, especially like in the city of Detroit, um, you're going to have those bad apples, okay, that, you know, once that bad apple goes bad and it gets rotten, people want to take a broad brush and the whole police department is bad, and that is far from the truth. But as one caller said, you know, this is something that has been going on seemingly forever, you know, in terms of, you know, police brutality. Uh, But, um, and I don't think that it's um, being, I guess, shown too much or what have you. I mean, I believe in, I believe in uh, brutal honesty. You know, if it's if it's there, I mean, highlight it. Right. But you know, those those police officers who are like probably about ninety five percent of them are you know good decent people. You know, leave those alone and get these guys to use that word. Get these guys out of there, or if they're going to stay there, make sure you get them some help. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. Uh, Dr. Taylor, what about this idea of the rogue? cop, right? Uh, that this is just, uh, these incidents are about uh, officers who just sort of run off the reservation and do whatever it is they want to do. That that seems to dissociate it from the idea of a systemic problem, right? Yes and no. I think that even when good cops, uh, when you have a bad apple, you have a rogue cop, and he or she is suspended or fired from the job, um, we're not trying to annihilate them as a person, but I think good police uh, or the the field itself has to be very careful how they support it. They send the wrong signal. Sometimes guys will get off the department, and then they go to another department, and it is critical that the department that they left put that out, that this person is not fit for police work anywhere. Right. But also you have um, fundraising and support and padding 
you can't have it both ways. If Bill is out here or Susie killing people or beating people and then have a temper out of control, you can't go have a fundraiser and tell them, well, Bill, I understand it's tough sometimes. We have to make an example and say, this is wrong. You need to go get help. That's the best way to help that. So I think it's, I don't think it's not that it's not systemic because it is. People get promoted. Some people do it other ways, uh, Stephen. They, they know how to do it mentally to a person that you make sure, sure a kid uh, is sent over to a, a jail with adults. They do tricky things that are not always caught. It's not simply violence. It is the thinking, the erroneous thinking of others and people. There's the same thing happens even when you have officers, again, the bad apple who, who, um, takes a woman and takes advantage of a woman, we're talking about their mental state and their attitude. So it is systemic because management-wise, you have to make sure that you make it, you point this person out and you eradicate it and make certain that others in law enforcement and security know that this is a person that should not be working in public safety. Right. You know, when I write uh, columns about this in the newspaper or, or discuss them on the radio, a lot of the blowback I get is, about the, the, the crime that exists in cities like Detroit or in Inkster. Uh, what people will say is, why are you so concerned about these rare, quote-unquote, incidents in which police are causing the problem? Why don't you deal with uh, the, the, the prevalence of, of you know, violent crime in these communities perpetrated by people who live there? Uh, what's your answer? What's your answer to that criticism? Well, I smile, and it's not a happy smile <laughs> when you talk about the blowback because I've gotten all the, the you know the very nasty remarks. Sure, uh, I think that I I take a stand and a very strong one that I don't disagree with them. Go after those who are are transgressors, but also you know you you need to look at larger pictures. But no one is suggesting. I know you're not, and I'm not suggesting that you do not go after those who are violators of the crime. But it's how you go about it and what motivates you. And so or am I supposed to ignore people who are uh, have been sworn to give public service that they are, in this case, that looked like the MMA or something, beating this guy repeatedly in the head, his arms are behind him. Or when it looked at, let's be honest, when you look at Eric Gardner, I'm still shaking my head. I cannot believe any police union or any police chief would not speak out what they did with Eric Gardner. They choked him. He says, I can't breathe. This is very scary for the public. Children saw that tape. We've all seen that tape many times. So, you know, using that rationale, you know, leave people alone and just go after the bad guys. Well, I say let's go after all of the bad guys, and that includes those who are police officers who are bad guys when they behave like this. It's behavior. Right. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm talking with Dr. Carl Taylor, a sociologist from Michigan State University, about videotaped police beatings and police brutality generally. If you want to join the conversation, call us at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. I want to go to Brandon in Detroit, who has a story about being pulled over in Livonia. Brandon, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Mr. Henderson, and how you doing, Dr. Taylor? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, yes, yes. So I'm a black male and uh, born in Detroit, raised in Detroit, live in Detroit, and um, I was driving through Livonia. I'm headed to a bowling alley with my wife in the car. Actually, um, was pulled over, and at the time I had a car that was a red car, it had you know dark tint on it, and it was you know at nighttime. So when I got pulled over, uh, I turned on all the lights on the inside. I rolled down all the windows, got my registration and license instantly and put my hands outside the window. And it shocked my wife because she didn't know how much preparation I had to do 
when I get pulled over, and it scared her. And I told her this is what I have to do in order for me to, you know, not get pulled over and not pose a threat and not, you know, you know, actually, you know, be a threatening person to the police. So, and, and is that, that something, right? Brandon? Is that something that you learned through experience with the police, or is that something that your parents uh, talked to you about when you were when you were a young man? You know, it wasn't really taught. I guess it's more of a learned thing and learning from unfortunate examples. Um, you know, when I, when I started driving, that was back in uh, the early 2000s, so they didn't have as many cases like this. Um, but I just knew that, you know, in order for me to, uh, you know, not have anything like that happen to me, I need to make sure that I'm being, um, you know, at the smallest threat possible towards the police. Right. Uh, Dr. Taylor, that that is, you know, the, the sort of uh, almost cliched story that African-American men have about, how they behave when they do get pulled over by the police and how different that is perhaps from their white counterparts. Uh, well, absolutely. I think the way you open, I was smiling again because I'm related to the same experiences and, you know, this young man just spoke of myself. We haven't done anything, but again, it's police officers. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. So I've been stopped at times and been very courteous and you take a deep sigh of relief, and I think that's what your article is all about, that it has registered as fear on an ongoing basis now. That was something that I thought we were past, but we're not past that, and it seems that it has increased. So uh, you take a you know great sigh of relief, or you find yourself being treated very nasty, uh, nice nasty, as my grandmother used to say. <laughs> and so that's unpleasant. That ruins my day, you know. Like, I didn't deserve that because... I don't have a gun. I have. I'm not a criminal. Um, no, you you, you treat it very poorly. So it also causes a great divide and resentment towards law enforcement. And I know that's not what law enforcement needs, nor do they want. Really, I don't believe that. But I think there are bad apples there, and I uh, have political motivation. And then they have others who are cheerleading them on. So that also makes it bad. And when I say others, it's other citizens are telling them, you did the right thing with them. And them can be different people. It's not just black folks. It's other people of color, it's sure. women, it's gays, and others. Um, that support is what's hurting us badly. Right. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. When we come back, we will continue talking with Dr. Carl Taylor about videotaped police beatings. And we will talk with Christiana, Christina in Birmingham about it. If you're hanging on the phones... Hang in there. We'll be right back. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Dr. Carl Taylor, a Michigan State University sociologist, and we are talking about videotaped police beatings and the general topic of police beatings, uh, run-ins with the cops. If you've had one, if you think this is an overblown issue, uh, no matter what you think, give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. I want to go to Christina in Birmingham. Welcome to the show, Thank you, Stephen, and thank you, Dr. Taylor. This is such an important topic and I think an excellent one. And I just wanted to make the point that while um, I don't think that the situation is as brutal north of 8 Mile, I certainly do think that there is still a concern that people of color, if not being brutalized uh, by 
police officers and authorities north of Eight Mile certainly are being hassled. I know in my town of Birmingham, uh, we talk frequently that uh, people of color are much more often pulled over than than people who are white. And, uh, you know, it, it seems that every time I look and see a police car with its lights flashing on Woodward Avenue, if I look and see who the driver is in front of that car, uh, overwhelmingly that person is an African-American person. Uh, far more than the population of Birmingham would be. We have a very small percentage of of people of color in our town, and yet those who are pulled over are um, all almost always people of color. I find it astonishing, and um, I, I my heart goes out to those who have to travel there. It must be very scary, and uh, it certainly doesn't seem fair. And I'll take your reaction to that okay. off the air. Thank you very much, Christina. Uh, the, Dr. Taylor, you know, I have been reading through the Justice Department uh, report on Ferguson uh, since it came out, and it's a long report. It takes a long time to get through all of it, Uh, and there are some real eye-openers in there. But one of them is about this this disproportionate treatment of uh, African-American citizens. Essentially, uh, in in Ferguson, they had criminalized most of the population by by nickel and diming them with with small infractions, and then you have a warrant out for you, and now uh, the police have a have a reason to, to to come into contact with you. That's Ferguson, Missouri. How how similar or dissimilar is that kind of culture to what we see here in Southeast Michigan, uh, both in Detroit and in uh, suburban communities? Uh, I think it may not be as blatant. And it depends on where you are, so I'm very careful. But we do know that also, and particularly with a lot of young men uh, who get in trouble for uh, uh, minor fractions that can quickly explode into major money, uh, you see a lot of that. Sure. So now money is tight, again, for the state in many communities. So you have tickets, and even the state had a system. I, I think they have suspended it or ended it, I hope, but that a ticket can go from a few dollars into two or three hundred dollars. We have a very bad problem with those who have been incarcerated, come re-enter the community, and they get a ticket, and they're already poor. And so I'm not suggesting that you don't give them tickets, but you have to be reasonable. And so suddenly, as we see in Ferguson, I have read the report, and it is long, that is being used in the wrong way. So you had debtor's prison, and it's abuse of power. That's all we're talking about. You have to be able to handle power, how to use it correctly and and use it in a justifiable way, where people understand, like myself, the day that I got the ticket, I was wrong. And uh, I expressed my dismay to the uh, officer. I said, okay, I agree. But I even told the chief of police, I deserve the ticket. I was wrong. I accept the ticket. What I do not accept is being mistreated sure. uh, as an individual. I know nothing special. I'm no special guy, but I want to be treated fairly, and that's what the public is asking for. Right. And to go back to the phones, Adrian in Detroit, you feel like the technology here plays a role. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Uh, technology, this is, this is my thing. If there is 95% of good police officer, why is that other 5% showing up at the scene? Like an inkster, everyone's audio was turned off for that event. The video was there, but we had no idea what was said because all the police officers that showed up, their audio was off. So my question is, if we're going to wear body cameras and uh, audio, then who's going to control them? If they can turn them off, then they're going to turn them off at times such as the one in Inkster. So you should not be able to control that device because if you're right, it's going to prove you're right. And if you're wrong, it's going to prove that you're wrong. So we don't have any audio tapes. 
everyone's audio was off for that particular event. So that's what I need to know. If we're going to have them, let's use them right. If we're going to pay for, so, for uh, public servants, let's pay for them because I know when I'm in trouble, the first person I'm calling is the police officers, okay? Right. That's a great, that's a great point, uh, Adrian. Uh, Dr. Taylor, when you, when you deal with police uh, departments, what do they tell you about the idea of these body cameras? I mean, I know that's somewhat controversial, uh, in, controversial some, in some departments. Some, some resent it, uh, some resent it, and, and some don't. But they understand that uh, besides the, the, the human aspect, this is business, and those cameras can save the police or it can doom them, as the caller had stated. And so by turning off the audio, you hurt yourself because the first thing that's going to come up in court, or as in this case, where we know you look like you were doing wrong and you turned off the audio. But the other dimension that people are forgetting is that everybody has a phone camera now. Sure. Even. And so a lot of citizens are filming things, and so that camera, that technology is not going to go away. I tell departments, Get over it. Um, you know, I don't like it even as a professor. Uh, there was, I don't want you taping my uh, <laughs> your lectures, my lectures, right? And so forth. But it makes us this. You know, we can get over that. Um, Orwell is here, 1984. <laughs> they are filming everything, right? And so I don't think police are going to escape on uh, the eye. But I think she makes an excellent point. But the moment you tamper with that body camera you've already tainted the investigation and you have not helped yourself. Right. And is that something that in court, I mean, could, could be considered, for instance, in a trial, that, that why did you turn that off and is that, does that work against the officer? Absolutely it works against them. Yeah. You know, I mean, some feel that, well, you know, I mean, some will destroy them. You know, some are that ancient in their thinking that they think if you don't have that evidence. My point, again, is that usually you're going to, road cops are going to get caught. Our problem is that we cannot afford the time to wait for them to get caught. But the camera, the technology makes a world of difference, and it is going to work. Uh, you, you know, you have many who will turn it off, but some will bodaciously leave it on because they don't give a damn. Right. They think that their power will supersede or their union will supersede what they're doing. Yeah. And I go back to the phones. Uh, Jamal in Midtown, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Let me let me just say this. I let's keep it real. It's just it's uh it's systemic because we live in a very racially charged country. Whether we want to remember that or not, it, it it's in everything that we do. And so you know, define a rogue cop when a cop when a cop looks at you know who are who is the cop really serving? Most of the time, it's not blacks, it's not Hispanics, it's not the poor, it's not the working class, it's not the undereducated. Those are usually the people not served and protected. So let's keep it real. The way that we look at each other in society, even individually individually as cops, this is how they police. And so you have some who are, you know, yeah, they're inclusive people and they see no color. Those are probably good cops. And But the ones that come with their, their you know, issues, they're going to take the leisure to beat up on somebody or to, you know, get rid of evidence. But we are a very racially charged country. I tell my wife, who's white, I say, we're so messed up racially that if you saw a black person and a white person in the car together, and if the black person is driving, somebody will say, oh, where can I take you, Miss Daisy? What's, what's that all about? <laughs> but if you see the white person driving, you say, oh, what, you don't trust me to be in charge? You don't trust my decision-making? Right. So it's, it's, just, it's systemic because it just... You know, it's the same reason why you could be in Ferndale. I was in Ferndale once, paying a simple uh, uh, traffic ticket. And in the courtroom, 96, 97% of the people there 
paying tickets charged for something are black. We're How can you ignore that? Sure. Sure. Thank you for the call, uh, Jamal. You know, when we talk about systemic uh, problems like this, Dr. Taylor, uh, as Jamal was 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 pointing out, what are some of the solutions to that? I mean, you talked about the culture uh, and, and that being different from training, that that uh, that making sure that the culture inside a department respects all people, understands restraint, uh, is different from, from the training. But, but what are some of the other things that, that you think police departments ought to be doing or that we ought to be doing as members of the community to, to make sure this doesn't happen? Well, I, I think that's a, uh, the, the, the answer is, is that it is a societal uh, issues, not so you think it's the outside the departments? Yeah, that, the yeah. outside communities are going to have to um, come back with strong evidence and, and make certain that it's given from top to bottom, whether it's to um, the Justice Department, the Police Department, the City Council, the governors, and so forth. And they have to consistently do it. And we also have to realize that in training, that this one-stop training, you know, you come in and we give you a psych test and you pass it. No, they need to be retrained. They need to constantly looking at what's going on with them and the stress that they're under. And for some people, they need to come out of it. It's just too stressful. It's tough in the streets. Uh, psychologically, we are ignoring it. And also, we have this machismo in our society. Sure. I'm not simply saying the police department, that if you have mental health issues, uh, since I was a kid growing up in Detroit, that people made fun of you. And so a lot of times, uh, men who go to war uh, and women who are also in law enforcement, if you don't step up to the plate and you're not violent enough, if you're not strong enough and you're not willing to shoot people, that we don't connect the consciousness of what people are going to be like after these violent incidents and the impact that it has on the communities as a whole. So I think we have to insist on better training and consistent keep training. Some police officers look at training as a joke. That's one of the things that I don't need to be trained. And in the old days, they did. They gave you a gun in a billy club and let you loose. Right. But we're way beyond that. Today, you cannot afford to have a poorly trained police department because it will cost you a lot of money, and it will also turn the citizenship against you to a point that you will not be able to control that community. Okay. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. I'm talking with Dr. Carl Taylor, a Michigan State University sociologist, about po- police uh, beatings caught on videotape and police uh, excessive force uh, in general. If you want to join the conversation, call us at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. I'm going to go back to the phones. Stephen in Detroit, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, thank you, and uh, I am so glad and so grateful that you are at the helm of this radio program. <laughs> uh, thank you very uh, much. I like your name, too, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and good, good morning and peace be with you, uh, Dr. Taylor. Thank you, um, peace be with you. I wanted to share with you a story about uh, the good cops within the bad structure of Detroit Police Department. My brother had been a police officer there for over 35 years, never had to draw his gun, never had to beat somebody up. But at one point in time, as he was teaching in the academy, he was pulled out and put on the street along with a rogue cop. And he told his commander, he said, I do not want to be paired up with this man. He's racist. He hates the city. And the commander said, you're with him. So they went out. And they were patrolling an area during a a tragic event. And this cop saw young folks running. 
And he said, I'm going to get him. He said, let him go. He's not doing anything. So he did. He ran and got him and shot the young man in the, in the back. And after he shot the young man in the back, my brother ran over and, to the young man. And the young man asked my brother, why did they shoot me? And my brother said, I'm so sorry. He says, I don't know. The young man ended up being paralyzed. The problem is, is that the commander did not respond to my brother's request and not allowing him to be a part of city patrol. And the sad part about that is that my brother was a part of different departments, dive team, uh, special forces. But when he went to the dive team, which is basically all white, they told him that if he goes down and try to recover a body or whatever, that he would have to get his brothers to hold the rope or go down with him because we don't care about you wow. because you told on blue. And my brother said, I'm not for blue. I'm for right. 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 And he was very, very, very strong with that and ended up leaving the department and in Wayne County Sheriff today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for the call, uh, Stephen. Uh, Dr. Taylor, what he's talking about there is exactly what you're talking about, which is culture, that that the culture inside the department has to be receptive to the idea that this is maybe a problem and then has to respond in a way that makes it clear this is not okay and that we expect something different. Absolutely. And I think that you have good officers and particularly when they're young, they learn this. And some come into the department culturally with that attitude that anything that doesn't look like them is the enemy. But again, we're talking a strong management and also a willingness to set the example to weed those people out. In that particular story, the commander bears fault. And once you have a, it's like parenting. You have to put your foot down, and I'm not calling police children, but leadership, and leadership from all ends, from in the rank and files, leadership in the middle, middle management, and from the top, and from the mayors. They have to put their foot down and mean business. And that means, again, that when a bad cop is let go, that you look at the Algiers Motel incident, and a lot of Detroiters sure. won't remember that, but I'm old enough to remember. And when those officers, you know, the this is national, when an officer leaves the department, many times he's, he goes out as, as the victor. And they raise a lot of money for that person and say, you did the right thing by being abusive. That is what has to stop because that sends the wrong signal. And instead of saying, we raised some money so you can go see a psychiatrist or you need to understand where you were wrong, but don't support and applaud bad behavior. And that's our problem. And that is a societal problem. That's not a police problem. That is a societal problem. Right. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I have been talking with Dr. Carl Taylor, a Michigan State University sociologist, about videotaped police beatings and the culture inside police departments generally. Dr. Taylor, I want to thank you for being here today. This was a great thank conversation. You for having me. Yes, we'll have you back soon. Okay. When we come back, we will talk with the new dean of the School of Music, Theater, and Dance at the University of Michigan. Aaron Dworkin joins us. We'll be right back.